it was brutal. And honest to God, the fact that we made it through it as a couple, I feel like we'll make it through anything. We were at each other constantly, and we I don't even think we knew why half the time. Take a girl and a guy, and they fall madly in love and form a family. Sprinkle in some counseling degrees and a doctorate, a dream of transforming relationships as we know it. And 20 years later, we give you power couple Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian. And this is their podcast, Couples Synergy. Welcome back to another episode of Couple Synergy with Dr. Ray and Jean. I'm Dr. Ray. And I'm Jean. And this is our podcast about love, marriage, and relationships. Be sure to check us out online on our Facebook page and Instagram at Couple Synergy or our website, couplesynergy.com. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast or send us any suggestions on topics you'd like to hear more about. And now on to Couple Synergy, an in-depth look at love, marriage, and relationships where we bring you our experience helping thousands of couples transform their relationships for nearly 20 years. You know, every day we get to hear intimate details about a couple's celebrations, disappointments, and everyday challenges. We've often wished these stories were shared because we know we are more similar than different. And so we've created not only an avenue where you can hear about people's intimate lives, but an atmosphere where people come over to our home pub, pour a drink, and share their stories. People like today's guests, Ari and Leslie, thank you so much for joining us today on our podcast. You're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> so, uh, you know, before we get started here, I just got to apologize to all our listeners out there because I have had a cold. No, it's not the coronavirus, <laughs> but I am a little congested. And you've been sharing yeah. a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you don't, don't catch it. But. You sound fine. Okay. All right. So let's dive right into Ari and Leslie's story. First off, guys, how old are you? And uh, what do you do for a living? And how long have you been together? I'm 51 years old. Hard to believe. Um, I just ended a 37-year career in the food industry several months ago. Um, And we've been together 19 years. Married for 17 I'm 48 years old, and I run a small business. I have been doing so for about seven years, dealing with uh, manufacturing and industrial customers. Great. Great. Welcome. And can you tell us the story of how you met? I was living in Illinois, and Ari was living in Dallas, Texas. And I was on the phone with a girlfriend, and she wanted to get on multiple dating sites and I didn't. So there we were on the telephone and I found myself filling out a dating profile on AOL Jewish singles (laughs) in the year 2000. It was March of 2000. And that's America online. I'm sure there's a lot of listeners out there that don't even know what that (laughs) is. Right. Right. right? (laughs) Um, So it was a Friday night. And I filled out the questionnaire and I was very sarcastic because I was not taking it seriously whatsoever. And I was um, not, I wasn't obnoxious with my answers, but like I said, I didn't think this was gonna go out there into the universe. So she clicked send and I clicked send and it was a Friday night and I woke up Saturday and I said, what the heck did I just do? And I called the website or whatever it was 
And I said, I submitted a dating profile last night and I didn't mean to. I want to take it down. There was a little wine involved or something? No, no. Oh, really? I was really just like in a smart-assy mood and and she was doing it. So I was doing it. And so they said they can't take it down on the weekends. I had to call back on Monday. So Sunday, I was completely appalled by myself. I couldn't believe I put it out there. And what if people knew me and whatever. So I called back on Monday and they said, you have to remove it within 24 hours. And I said, well, I called on Saturday and they said they can't do it on the weekend. Well, it's been more than 24 hours. (laughs) I said, I don't think you understand. I did it on Friday night. I called on Saturday. They said they can't do it on the weekend. Call back on Monday. Today's Monday. I'm calling back. Take it down. They said we can't. So I was mortified. And I would get on to the AOL Jewish Singles website, and I would see that there were responses, and I would just delete them. Like, the faster I deleted them, the more I could lie to myself that it wasn't really out there. So then after a few days, I got curious, and I would open one up, and I'd read it, and I'd roll my eyes, and I would delete it, and then I would delete more. And then I opened one up, and I read it, and I laughed. And then he signed it, Ari, and... I was a camp counselor when I was 12 years old, and I had a kid in my group named Ari. I had never heard that name before, and I loved it. Hadn't heard of that name again. And I'm like, oh, my God, he was funny. He lives out of town, so he's not going to bother me. (laughs) And his name is Ari. So I responded, and I'm like, why are you answering from somebody who lives in Illinois if you live in Texas? And he wrote back something like, well, why are you putting it out there if you live in Illinois? <laughs> and I love that he was sarcastic back. And the rest is history. So there wasn't like a regional uh, filter or limitation. You were just kind of broadcasting it to the United States? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And it turns wow. out um, one of my brother's old elementary school classmates didn't recognize my name and responded to me. You know, <laughs> awkward. Oh, my biggest fear. What's your version? So I worked retail at the time, and I worked way too much. Didn't have a lot of time for any social or or hobby or anything. And this was before internet dating was accepted, was known. And it was just one night where I thought, all right, let's see what this is, what it's about. And I looked through a couple of uh, uh, classifieds, you know, posts. And Leslie's looked interesting, so I responded. And like she said, when she emailed back, it was, you know, what the heck are you th- doing? And I said, well, it's just an email. That's what I said. <laughs> it's just an email. I mean, it's just an email. Dallas, you're in Illinois. It's just an email. <laughs> <laughs> and then here we are. <laughs> so how did you guys actually get together? Uh, so he, <clears throat> excuse me, he responded back to me and... I laughed again, so I responded back. So we just had like this sarcastic, very easygoing banter back and forth. And then after a few days of that, we would sit on the computer and what was it? It wasn't instant messaging back then. What, what, Equivalent, it was this, yeah. yeah, live. So chatting. we would spend three and four hours just chatting on the computer back and forth. And we were up till two, three, four in the morning and we would have to get up to go to work the next day. And so we would force ourselves to disconnect. 
And then I would be out on blind dates and I would be sitting at the blind date looking at my watch thinking, I have to get back. I have to talk to Ari, <laughs> you know, at midnight. <laughs> and I couldn't wait to leave wherever I was to go back to my little one bedroom apartment and dial up AOL to talk to Ari. So that was in March that we, that we met like that. And then he came out the last week in July to meet me. Um, what was the time frame between meeting and online and March to July? March to July. And how old were each of you? Ari had just turned 30 because mm-hmm. I called him at his job and left him a message on his voicemail. I said, hi, Ari, this is Leslie, you know, Chef LJ, because that's how he knew me from my, <laughs> my email or whatever it was. And I said, just calling to wish you a happy birthday. And you're, you deleted it or your coworker right. You deleted yeah, it. Yeah, accidentally. I deleted it. It's the first time I heard her voice. <laughs> right. Because we, we never spoke on the phone, ever. That we was never the traded first... pictures. Did you hear it? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, and then yeah. you deleted yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. We didn't trade. He sent me a picture of his cat, and I didn't send him a picture of anything. What, weren't there pictures on your profiles, though, of not, yourselves? Not back then. No. I had one. You didn't. Yeah. You I, saw I, me, but you, I hadn't seen you. This is like the updated version of the classifieds. Remember right. the yeah, that's what it was. Single just white female seeking right. mm-hmm. was uh, dating and being in a relationship with someone that was also Jewish important to both of you. Not at the time for me. It was important to me, but I'm not sure how important because most of the people I was in a relationship wasn't Jewish. I tried to date Jewish people. I dated Jewish people. I wound up in relationships with non-Jewish people. Hmm. But you just happened to go on a Jewish website? or Because it was important to me. Oh. And for you? It wasn't important at all. I had never dated anybody Jewish, had never been around a lot of Jewish women, men, anybody. Why did you choose that website? Or whatever um, you call it back then? I think there were a couple different ones. And so that one was just the one where I had a response and back and forth relationship developing and that was on it because my girlfriend was on it we did it together (laughs) so you fly up yep what happens she met me at the airport this was back when you could how'd you find each other did you have like a little carnation or something no (laughs) i actually got pictures leslie had sent on my way to the airport i checked the mail because she had said they sent them she sent them what two weeks before i got them yeah (laughs) like the real mail snail mail the snail mail and so i had pictures of her and then this was back in the days when you could actually go to the gate mm-hmm. to, to meet someone. So she said she would be there. And he told me he would be in a white shirt. Yep. A white Which I still down. have. So he was supposed to land at like 7.30 in the evening. And I think I was up at like 9 a.m. <laughs> you know, thinking about getting ready. And I was talking to my best friend. And then he called me at like four o'clock in the afternoon. And we had, he had never called me before, but we had caller ID, you know, a separate little machine box that was right? caller ID. <laughs> and it was him and I saw that it was him and I knew that he got my pictures and he wasn't coming. I knew it. You knew he was not yeah, coming? I knew that he was calling me to tell me he got the pictures oh. and he looked at them and he wasn't coming. That was your worry. Yeah, so yeah. I picked up the phone and I'm like, hi. He's like, hi. And I knew what was coming. He wasn't coming. He saw me. He didn't, he didn't want to come. So he said, my plane is delayed. Mm. And I said, okay. And I'm thinking that's his way of telling me he's not coming. He's like, so I don't think I'm landing until like, I think it was 10 o'clock. 
So I thought, oh my God, he's really coming. <laughs> now it was four o'clock in the afternoon. He wasn't supposed to land till like 7.30 and I was already dressed and ready to go. <laughs> so uh, we hung up and I called my best friend back. I'm like, oh my God, now he's not coming till 10. And I drove to Midway and I parked and I went to the gate and I saw him come off the plane and he came over to me and hugged me and we walked to the car and I drove him to his hotel room and when I think back on it I didn't know this guy we had been chatting every day for hours and hours online for months but I I didn't know him and I went into his hotel room with him and now (laughs) that I think about it you know as a as an adult and as a mom I'm thinking god I was crazy (laughs) So he had brought me gifts, which I thought was adorable. And what did I felt he bring? bad. He brought a mug with my name on it from Vegas because he had just recently visited Vegas. He brought me a stuffed animal giraffe because he knew I liked giraffes and something else, but I don't remember what it was. Do you remember? I think I did a mixtape. <laughs> mixtape. All right. We did the mixtape. Yeah. Tape, right. <laughs> <laughs> Back in the day, right. right? It wasn't even the 80s. That's the sad part. <laughs> um, and then he was here for a week, and we spent every waking hour together. I still had to go to work, so he kept himself busy while I was at work. We went downtown every day. I was living in Wheeling. So what did you think when you opened the envelope? I don't know what she was worried about. <laughs> I remember thinking she's beautiful and but again I didn't have any expectations even coming up for a week, which was obviously a planned full week with Leslie. It, it was still I was still had the reality of I lived in Dallas, she lived in Chicago and we have a more than a friendship but still really at the at the core a friendship and I just wanted to meet her and see what it was about did you have any worries or hopes no um no worries i'm sure there was there were nerves Mm -hmm. but really no worries because again i didn't put any expectations on myself for the for that first visit it was i had so much going on with work that it was it really was just a getaway for me with the bonus of meeting someone who i'd been chatting with every night for four months You know, that topic I think is really interesting and really sad to me how many women don't like how they look. And it's not the guys that don't like how we look. It's it's ourselves and the judgment that we've gotten either uh, subtly Mm -hmm. or overtly our whole life, our whole entire lives. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, it starts with our parents Mm -hmm. who may be well-meaning. I don't know of don't eat that and Mm -hmm. do this and put on some makeup and, Mm -hmm. you know, and, um, and I think it takes, and I don't know how you're doing with this. I'm 53 and I think it takes some maturing to realize how incredibly beautiful we all are. Like, like flowers, you know, you don't walk around and be like, oh, that flower, er," you know, (laughs) they can be so different dogs too, right? They're so different. And the female body's so different. And I've seen women treat themselves so horribly And I've noticed that it's the women that are closest to the ideal that feel the Mm -hmm. worst. Because I think if you 
if you have people giving you attention and things because of the way you look, you, you always get that sense like they don't really know me. But if you're a little less attractive, you have to develop your personality and have some other skills or some other things you find valuable about yourself. So I think your self-esteem grows more. And we live in such an artificial society that we don't get to know a whole person, just what they look like. And so much judgment happens there. And it's that's really heartbreaking. If we could heal anything, mm-hmm. it would be that to me. Now that I think of it, was it May? Yes. It was Five, May. Seven. You guys, it was May. It wasn't March. It was May? Yeah, it was May. It was May 7th was our first email. Our first transaction back and Just forth. Just an ice sculpture at our wedding. Yeah, it was May. So May, it was May to, to July. July. Yeah, but like four hours a night. Yeah. yeah. Four hours every night. So, I mean, that's that's really quick, right? Yeah. Three months. Yeah. Wow. So, this is, you know, it, like today, today's day and age, you have the swipe right, swipe left. You know, if you don't like what you see, you're just, you're moving on, right? And so, this was like you were working on building this relationship over a three-month period mm-hmm. of time before you actually really saw each other mm-hmm. and were in physical proximity. That That's a lot of, you know, expectation maybe, also like worry, mm-hmm. anxiety, and the week went well. The week went well. <laughs> what was it about each other that you liked about each other before you met? I'll ask the second part after you answer that part. That's good. Before you met, before you even knew each other, what each other looked like, those four-hour nights. I think some of it's typical, just there was a connection. There was just a comfortableness, easy to talk to. There was, you know, whether it was listening or talking, there was just a good flow. I mean, again, talking for hours and hours that just, it wasn't like we had, um, you know, the the lulls in the conversation. Mm -hmm. We just kept going and it was just questions about growing up and Mm -hmm. who we were and likes and dislikes. And um, I think it was just an instant, we were just on the same level. For me, he was funny and he could keep up with me, if that makes sense. So if I was sarcastic, he was sarcastic back. Or I guess, like Ari said, we were kind of at the same level. Like I didn't have to pretend who I was because he was so far away and because he wasn't sitting right in front of me. So I could be really who I was and answer everything honestly and talk the way I talk without trying to be on my best behavior like you do on a blind date or on a date. I love the fact too that because it's not in the same proximity, the sex piece can't get in the way too quickly. And so you got to develop that friendship and get to know each other. For sure. So what was it about each other that you fell in love with? For me, Ari was very sensitive and he wasn't judgy he didn't have expectations of me that I had to live up to and I don't even mean like how I looked I just meant the person that I was I look back at it now and I think the fact that he grew up surrounded by women and women only played a big part in that Um, but I could be me and he still accepted me. The biggest thing for me is Leslie's realness. 
there wasn't trying to get through and figure out who she was because she just was who she was. So how long do you guys date and how do you figure out how to live in the same place? (laughs) Okay. So he came out to meet me the very last week of July. He left like August 1st or 2nd. And then I went out to see him in September. And then he moved here in October. He had his own apartment, but we were constantly either staying at his place or my place, and we each had a cat, so we were always leaving a cat. So in April, we finally moved in together. Then the following... And you moved up here. Correct. He moved here. In October. Yeah. So we met online in May. We met... At the end of July, I went there in September. He moved here in October. That's really quick. Yeah. What was that decision? Well, it was his... Well, he was the one that had to make the move. So again... What? You left your job and everything. Well, again, from a relationship perspective, I had moved around a lot. I had lived um, in Seattle, California, Texas. I liked living in different places. So setting aside the relationship... It was a, a new chapter just to explore and see a new place. Of course, I wanted to see where the relationship went at that point. So that was a big part of it. And then from a job perspective, we actually both worked at the same for the same company at different times. So we knew a lot of the same people. And oh, so wow. Leslie actually <laughs> got me an interview up in Chicago. Did, did you know that before no. you guys? No. We didn't know it until... So we met May 7th, 7th. <laughs> so maybe two or three weeks later, we realized he was saying things about his job that I recognized. And I said, wait a second, where do you work? Like it never even came up. We talked for hours <laughs> and we had so much to talk about that where you work, <laughs> it sounds so strange now. Um, so I had left that company a few months prior to talking to him online and it was just complete coincidence. That is wild. Mm-hmm. So it was an easy transition as far as work-wise right. for you. Okay. Um, when did you start thinking that you were going to be moving up here closer to her? Probably shortly after the July visit. Well, that must have been quite a week. <laughs> it was a good week. But it's interesting that he says that because when I took him to the train to go back home... I wasn't sure I was ever going to see him again. And mm-hmm. I remember sitting on the train by myself coming back and I was crying thinking, I feel like I'm never going to see my best friend again. It was so strange. Why did you feel that way? Um, I probably felt like he met me. He's done. And you even said something to that point when we left. And I said, sure, we're going to see each other. Yeah. And I didn't. I didn't think so. I wanted to. I mean, obviously. I was I had known him personally for a week, and I was crying, thinking, oh, my God, I'm never going to see him again. So when you came down in September to, to visit him, had he already told you that he was planning on coming? And no. No. We weren't. I don't think he knew. Nothing was in the works at that point. Mm-mm. Okay. When did each of you know that this was your person? I thought he was my person 
when I met him, you know, when he was leaving, I thought, oh, my God, I'm never going to see him again. And I couldn't fathom how I was never going to see him again because I thought he was my person. Mm-hmm. I want to say sometime between Last week. our first two visits. <laughs> Last week. <laughs> but I don't remember a specific moment for me. I think it built over time mm-hmm. to where then it, it just was. And how did you guys decide to get engaged? You mean the time I didn't ask you or? So at one point when we moved in together, I think we had just moved into an apartment together. And I said to him one night, by the way, if you ever want to be married, maybe we shouldn't do this because I don't think I'm the marrying type. You're not the marrying type? Yeah, like I wasn't going to get married. Like if you want to get married, you should probably go find somebody who wants to be married because I wasn't sure I wanted to be married. Do you know why? Why I didn't want to be married? Because I saw some close relationships around me that I absolutely did not want. So if that's what marriage was, you didn't want it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I had that feeling. Yeah. Um... And I also wanted to make sure that I wasn't going to get married because that's what was expected of me. So because it was expected of me, I fought it even harder because was I going to get married because I wanted to or was I getting married because I was supposed to? And if it was because I was supposed to, then absolutely not. So Mm -hmm. you better go find somebody who wants to be married because I don't think I do. And he didn't go anywhere. But you knew you wanted to have a committed relationship with Ari. You just didn't necessarily want to be married in a legal sense. Right, right. And if he wanted to be a married person, he should go elsewhere. Um, But he didn't go anywhere. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm not even sure we... I don't even think we ever talked about when we would get married or if we get married. We really didn't. But at Do some, you remember her saying that to you? Oh, yeah. What yeah. did you think? I remember where we were and everything. Again, while I was invested in the relationship, it, I, I wasn't on this timeline or didn't have this expectation at that point. Oh, my gosh, I have to be married or I want to be married. I was just enjoying where we were at. And I didn't think about, oh, my gosh, what happens if in five years I'm still with her and we're not married? It just wasn't. It was one day at a time. So how do you get to actually getting engaged? We bought a house. Well. <laughs> we bought a house first. <laughs> we, we did. We bought a house. Yeah. And there was one point in February where we went out of town for the weekend. And I thought for sure. Well, New Year's was it Eve. Fe- it was New Year's Eve, actually. I, I thought for sure that that's when Ari was going to propose. So I think we were going away for the weekend. It was New Year's Eve. He was going to propose. We got there. I was actually very sick. I had a fever. I didn't feel good. And the guy never proposed. And I'm waiting. I'm like, okay, it's going to be this morning. Okay, it's going to be this afternoon. Okay, it's going to be tonight. Okay, it's going to be tomorrow. And the guy never proposed. And I thought I was going away for the weekend to get engaged. Is this a few weeks after he, a few months after he moved up here? Or is it a year from there? Um, So you moved up here in October. And it's that, okay. 2000 to 2001, New Year's Eve. You think? We got married in 02. Yeah, so it was soon (laughs) after. And he didn't propose, and I thought, okay, that's fine. And then he did. 
Although I came home from work and there was a dress, a new dress on the bed with a note that said, put this on and be downstairs at whatever time. And I thought, oh my God, I'm getting engaged tonight. <laughs> Did you talk to anyone first? As in her dad? Mm-hmm. Yes. How'd that go? Oh, it was easy. You fit into the family well? Yeah. I mean, they always accepting, not just accepting, but welcoming. And I mean, we had done Sunday night dinners since I moved to Chicago. Do you remember your stuff. first meeting with them? Yes. The, the first time I met them, it was, you know, spotlight. Literally. He was in a <laughs> an chair. An interrogation. Yeah. yeah, we were all sitting on a, on a couch, all of us, and he was in front of us in a chair, like a oh. light under him. Wow. And it was just question, 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 question. I felt terrible, but I think I had warned you about yes. my family first. <laughs> and after Ari left on a Saturday, that first week we met, and I had dinner with my family on Sunday, and they had no idea that I was online. They had no idea that I met somebody. They had no idea that he was in town. So I was telling my whole family that I met this guy online, and he just spent the week here, and he just left, and they didn't believe me. They literally didn't believe me. They literally thought I was lying. Yeah, that probably was so new that it's like only right. crazy they, they people couldn't would understand do something it. like right. that. Right, right. <laughs> so you get engaged, and then what? And then for the first six months of our marriage, I resented him for marrying me. You resented yeah. him? I don't know how he stuck around that six months. Do you remember the hell I put you through? You must have, because I think that's when we found Gene and Ray. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Do I, you know why you put him through hell? I think now I was testing him. I think I was wondering, what is it that I have to do that he's going to leave or that he's going to decide that I'm really not worth it. Was that part of a self-esteem thing? I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know what I was thinking as I was living in that six months. I just think now that I was doing it to see what it was going to take for him to say I wasn't like good enough. So you showed him your worst. Yeah. And he stayed. Yeah. <laughs> what was that like for you? I don't, I mean, Leslie's never been mean, never been, I mean, she is who she is. So I don't, I don't remember there being this change or this harshness or anything. That was really hard her. to live with. You sure this was me? I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. The first year of marriage for all couples is a very difficult transition. You know, it's a merging of two very different upbringings and family backgrounds. And you're trying to create something that's completely unique. Mm -hmm. So most couples really struggle, you know, with that. Even after you've lived together. Absolutely. Like living together is just different than once you're married. It's just much more vulnerable. Yeah. It's very interesting. You know, we'll we'll come across, for example, the millennial uh, generation. um, A lot of them are not getting married. And, you know, that consequently they have a lower divorce rate because mm-hmm. of that. But they own houses together. Um, a lot of times they don't even commingle their finances. Mm-hmm. So they live kind of like separately, but they have this committed relationship, right? Um, it, it's very interesting how just getting married and having that legal, you know, confirmation and legal document changes right. things in the relationship. 
because you can't just leave now. You can't just, you know, end the relationship. Now you have to go through a legal process to, you know, get divorced. So in public and and it's public. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, So, yeah, even though that you guys were living together and then you got married, that's really where that transition, you know, happens. I think it's sort of like the difference between, you know, Chex Mix, where you can pull apart the pretzel and the Mm -hmm, peanut mm -hmm. or a cake. You can't really take out the egg and the flour, right? It changes you. And, you know, there's a book called How to Be an Adult in a Relationship by David Rico. And he talks about these needs that we have as children of attention and affection and acceptance and appreciation and allowing to become. And if those needs aren't met adequately, which, of course, they're not for any of us because we're humans and so are our parents, creates two wounds in us, a fear of abandonment Mm -hmm. and a fear of engulfment. And we play that out in our relationships. So we always show up parent-child in our adult relationships until we figure that out. And it is a very long process. You know, how long have you guys been together? 19 years. Yep. And I would say, I mean, we still work on it. And we're at, we're at 23 years mm-hmm. of dating and being married. And it's hard. It's hard as a human being to really trust another person, mm-hmm. that they're not going to just leave you and it's easier to say, I don't want to even want that Mm -hmm. than it is to be vulnerable and let it in. And it's scary. It's scary for me. And I think for women, especially because we're the ones that can get pregnant and give birth and we're in that physically vulnerable Mm -hmm. place. It's we, I think it's built in more of that insecurity and that fear of abandonment. I get it. What kinds of messages were you getting from family about your relationship? You guys coming together, getting married, um, you know, was there anything there? I, I think it was all positive. My mom, I mean, she was just happy to have a daughter. I mean, that was the instant, just not anybody, but I mean, she loved Leslie from the moment she met her and it was all positive, positive for me, positive for her. Um, and that was really the most important loved one, you know, on my side of the family. So um, aunts and uncles and others that didn't, they all were, I think, you know, positive, but it really didn't matter. You know, not that I would have done anything if my mom didn't like Leslie, but it helped that she genuinely loved Leslie right off the bat. My immediate family was very grateful to Ari. (laughs) (laughs) Grateful. Yeah. They thought he was like a hero. Because he was able to convince you to get married? Or no, what? because he was able to not tolerate me. Survive me? I don't know. Survive you? Yeah. like. So your that, family's perception of you was that who could put up with you? Sort of. Like my mom always said that I needed somebody that would be able to put me in my place. Somebody that could kind of keep up with my shenanigans or my mouth or whatever. And... So he was like a hero to them because he could, but they were also wondering or hoping that he would stay strong enough forever. Wow. And they've always loved him. I mean, they, you know. I'm really sorry you learned that about yourself, that someone would have to tolerate you. Yeah. That's really sad. Maybe those first six months, that was like the, the test that you're talking about. You know, I was the black sheep. Hmm. So it's not like they didn't like me. They just didn't know what to do with me. And so here's a man that met me who was willing 
to take me on. And they had just applauded him for that and loved him and still do. What do you, what do you think about those messages she received? I mean, I know because of over the years, I guess in a weird way, it's part of why we work. You know, it always bothers me. I mean, hundreds, thousands of times, you know, we've talked about and I say how beautiful you are um, and you turn away and... <laughs> um, I mean, again, everything she talks about that was a weakness is her strength. Yeah. You should listen to our episode called The White Sheep of the Family. Right. Right. I was thinking <laughs> I that. I didn't know there was a white sheep. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's the person who doesn't go with the family uh, domestication and you kind of break out of it. You know, if we're talking black sheep, we're talking about were you on drugs? Were you in prison? No. Were you a stripper? You know, no. like yeah. you, you weren't this wild. That's a black sheep. I didn't you were fit just their different. Mold. You didn't fit their mold. Yeah. Right. And, and to so them, we I would, was wild because I didn't fit their mold. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we would call that the white sheep. Oh, well, thank you. I don't mm-hmm. care what color sheep I was. I'm just happy <laughs> I didn't just, fit the mold. Exactly. Yeah. But it wasn't in negativity. It was in positivity. I'm going to jump ahead here just because yeah. it's funny. I was explaining to the kids recently that I was the black sheep in my family. And my daughter says, Mommy, stop being racist. Because <laughs> I said I was the, That's Mommy, awesome. stop being a racist. <laughs> so you guys get married. Mm-hmm. And how do you decide to have kids? That's when we found Ranji. Yeah. Um, so I was 34 years old when we got married. And... Neither one of us were really sure we wanted kids. And I think I was leaning more towards no than Ari was. I was getting the feeling from Ari, if I woke up one day and said, hey, let's have kids, he'd be like, okay. And if I woke up one day and said, we can't ever have kids, he'd be like, okay. So he wasn't a hard yes or a hard no. By the time I got married and was 34 years old, I really thought, that the best thing I could do for my children was not to have them. I did not want to carry on like the stuff that families carry on. And the thing about it is I didn't come from a bad family. You know, I wasn't physically abused. I wasn't homeless. I just felt like it was a really hard world and the best thing I can do would be not to bring people into this life. So then I was 35 years old, and then I was 36 years old, and I was working, and Ari was working, and we had a townhouse, and things were great, and people around us were having babies, and I thought my clock was ticking, and we haven't decided yet if we were gonna have kids. And then one day, I was 37, and it was a Sunday, and I woke up. Ari was at the kitchen table reading the newspaper. I came down. I looked at the newspaper, and the very front page said something about high-risk pregnancies at 36 years old and older or something. And I started crying, and I'm like, oh, my God, honey, we have to make the decision. And I remember Ari saying something like, well, we don't have to make it right now. <laughs> you know, we don't have to make it on, you know, Sunday, whatever the date was. And I said, I am not getting any younger, and we don't know if we want kids. And 
my clock is going to run out before I'm ready to make that decision. Like we are being forced to make the decision because of my age. And that really bothered me. So then we would talk about it periodically. It would just come up. Are we going to have them? Are we not going to have them? Why do we want them? Why don't we want them? What if we had them? What if we didn't have them? How many would we have? And then one day in April, I was 38 years old. And we said, you know what? We don't know. So let's leave it up to God. Now, neither one of us are very religious. Um, But we believe things happen for a reason. And I was on the birth control pill. And we said there were a lot of people around us who wanted to be be pregnant and weren't getting pregnant. There were a lot of people that were taking a long time to get pregnant. So we said, listen, if we're supposed to have kids, we're going to have kids. And if we're not supposed to have kids, then we won't. So April, I stopped taking my birth control pill. And we were pregnant in October. Or did I stop taking it? No, no, no. I stopped taking it. We decided in April right. that we would stop. T- I would stop taking the birth control pill. Then we stopped taking it in October, and I, we found out we were pregnant on Mother's Day. Right. So I was supposed to have kids. Only Ari and I knew we were going to have one child, and one child was going to fit into our life. And we weren't going to change our lifestyle, and we weren't going to be like at 12 o'clock they have to eat, and at 2 o'clock they have to nap, and at 4 o'clock they have to, you know, whatever. We were going to fit this child into our lifestyle. We were still going to travel. We were still going to do what we wanted to do. I was going to work. I was not going to work. And so God gave us twins. You know, it reminds me of that joke is that you, you know how to make God laugh. Make a plan. Make a plan. Right. right. We had a plan. We had a plan. It was, it was, we knew exactly what was going to happen and how it was going to happen. And then because we were only going to have one child. We even went so far to say we'll adopt if we, that's if right. Two years, five years down the road, we are all for adoption and that's right. Again, a plan. Yep. Right. I remember you calling me. Yep. Yep. <laughs> And telling me you're having twins. It was after we found out we were in the car. Yeah. After the appointment that we found out. Now, did twins run in either side of your family? No. No. (laughs) I was 39, and the doctor told me that it was because of my age, my eggs are slow. So because they're so slow, they're going down and the sperm is coming up. And then there's another egg, and they both got fertilized because of my age. He literally said that to me. So God did have a plan. God had a plan. (laughs) Yep. Because I was, I know now that I was supposed to have two kids, and I was supposed to have two girls. So you guys find out that you're having twins. What was that like for both Mm -hmm. of you? Well, right when we found out, Leslie started hyperventilating. But how did you feel? <laughs> I was too busy taking care of you. Oh. <laughs> so we were, and we knew we were pregnant because we took like four or five pregnancy tests the night before Mother's Day. And then Mother's Day, I woke up and started dry heaving. And I had to work. And we had already taken like four or five pregnancy tests. So a week later, we went to the doctor, knew we were pregnant. Okay, we're pregnant. We had a plan. It was going to fit in. So the tech is looking around, and the monitor is there, and she says, oh, do you want to see something? Sure. 
this is your baby's heartbeat. And we're looking like, oh, so sweet. This is, yeah, this is our baby's heartbeat. And then she goes, and that's the other baby's heartbeat. (laughs) And I shot up. I still had the big tube in me. And I shot up. And I'm like, wait, no, we're going to have one baby. And I freaked out. And all the tech is saying is, you're double blessed. You're double blessed. And I'm crying. I'm like, but wait, I have to work. <laughs> and she's you're so double blessed. You're double blessed. And I'm like, wait, this wasn't, what do you mean? <laughs> and then they put me in the waiting room to wait for the doctor. And I was upsetting all the other moms in the waiting room. So they put me in a private room with a brown paper bag <laughs> to breathe into. <laughs> what were you thinking? Holy shit. <laughs> I don't know if I'd want to say that. Like two babies, and it never we crossed we our mind. We never even considered, like, we never even thought that that was the. It just never, yeah. It was. I don't know I, how long, but it was complete shock. It just I didn't think resonate. There's when the one, kids how turned, can there be two? Yeah, I think when they turned one years old is when the shock wore yeah. off that I was going to have twins. <laughs> that I was going to have two babies at the same time. I mean, we just. Where'd our plan go? I didn't know how to plan for this. I couldn't plan for this. And I didn't, how were we going to be parents to two children at the same time? And how was the birth? I was petrified to have anything but a C-section. I was petrified. So my body never got past five centimeters. Like literally I was induced and they broke my water and I never told anybody how afraid I was not to have a C-section, but my body didn't go past five. And 37 hours after getting to the hospital, I had a C-section. The first baby they took out, we knew we were having girls. The first baby they took out and didn't show me her. And listen, I watched a lot of movies and read a lot of books. I knew they were supposed to show me her. And then they were taking out the second baby I asked Ari if they looked alike, and he said, no, not at all. And then I said, I didn't get to see the first one. Can I see this one? So they showed me her for a second and took her away. And then I was in the recovery room being forced to name them quickly. So do you think that if you had had them vaginally, there would, one would be older than the other instead of the other way around? So I think about that a lot. Yeah, that's interesting. But here's the thing about the C, and I think about it still to this day. Baby A and baby B. Mm -hmm. Baby A is the lowest one. So if I would have had them naturally, baby A would have been baby A. When they do the C-section, they cut so low that actually baby A is still baby A. Okay, got it. And we know that our baby A was baby A because baby B sat on her head for so long that baby A ended up with torticollis. Which is? Low muscle tone in their neck. Is wow. that why they didn't show you the baby right away? They never told me. They never, there was nothing wrong. They oh. just didn't. Yeah. They just didn't. They were just busy. We're yeah. getting, we got another one to do, yeah. so. But yeah. I see, I mean, I see all these birth photos, and I'm very active in my twins club, so I see lots of pictures of twins after they're born, and they all have that moment, you know? of their baby on their chest or both babies on their chest. And I didn't even see Avi. I didn't even see Lila until I was in recovery. So 
what are some of the things, and I think it's probably difficult for you to compare and contrast because you never had one. Right. So what are some of the challenges with having two? At the same time. There's lots of challenges having two, but you're right, I never had one. So people constantly say, how do you do it? How do you do it? And the answer is, how do you not do it? Like, what kind of question is that? And it's all I know. So these people that have triplets or these people that have five singletons, you know, it's the same thing. You do it because you you can't not do it. Right. It is really hard. It's really hard. And I don't think it's hard because they're twins. I think it's hard because being a mom is hard. In particular, I think being a, a mom today is really hard. And a dad. I think dads are way more involved than they ever have been. And it, we just live in a time where so... We've lost so much community mm-hmm. that it's we're all on our own doing the exact same thing mm-hmm. instead of pooling resources. And it, it's hard. It is. What was it like for you? I always said it's one of the greatest things we've gone through, and it's one of the hardest. And I even, at the time at work, started a um, parents' club. And I said, if you your kid is sleeping through the night, and everything is great, this might not be the club for you. (laughs) Like this really is kind of like you were saying with community, this is to help and, and empathize and you know, you need that normalize, but it was the first year from no sleep. And and, you know, you talk about differences again, we don't know, but one of the things we, I think it hit us at some point was we each always are holding a kid. Mm -hmm. Hmm. There's no passing off. There's trading, mm-hmm. but no break feeding. I mean, granted, Leslie did a lot when I was at work the first year, but you're always holding a kid. You're putting to sleep, waking up, feeding. There's just always each of you. There's no break. You know, people say that if you could survive buying a house together, if your marriage could survive that, you're never going to get divorced. If you could survive the first year with multiples and not get divorced, then you could probably survive anything. That first year of their life was probably the hardest in our marriage. Yep, by far. Um, Is there a like a, a statistic about that, about people surviving yeah. multiples? So there is a, st- a statistic about the divorce rate within marriages of kids with multiples. There is a high statistic. I don't know what it is, but... Is it higher than it. single birth it is. families? It is. I can't even describe it. I would never want to go back to it. You know, you're happy that you have your kids. You're happy, of course, that they're healthy. But it was the hardest year of our life. I had postpartum, and I didn't know it. It, it was a hard year. Yeah, I think it's um, it's difficult enough, mm-hmm. you know, for parents to remain connected after having a child. I can only imagine that's just exponentially even more difficult. Right. with two. Right, and it just drives a wedge between you know the the couple Mm -hmm. i mean talk about quality time just (laughs) being none right and they didn't sleep through the night for two years and you know people talk a lot about lack of sleep and how it really is detrimental to your physical and emotional and mental health but until you're experiencing it you can't fully understand what that means. You know, prisoners of war, one of the 
worst um, punishments they can get is to not be allowed to sleep. And I understand it. I understand that it was brutal. And honest to God, the fact that we made it through it as a couple, I feel like we'll make it through anything. Do you feel that way too? Yeah. It was, we were at each other constantly and we, I don't even think we knew why half the time. Mm -hmm. I think the age played a part that we just, we couldn't go two nights with no sleep, but we were, and we just weren't functioning. And still had to work. Right. We weren't (laughs) in our twenties. And I went to work after three or four months. I don't remember. And, um, I remember Ari was constantly applauded for changing diapers and for holding babies and rocking babies and feeding babies and burping babies. Constantly applauded. By who? Um, older relatives. And one time, his mom said to me something like, isn't Ari great? And I said, why? <laughs> she said, because he does everything. And I said, he's the father. He's their father. I don't understand why he's being applauded for changing diapers and taking care of a baby. Well, honey, because back in our day, men just didn't do that. And I said, but I wouldn't have married a man like that. I wouldn't have had kids with a man who wasn't going to be 100% in with me. And it was just a, a different generation. Could you imagine, though, if you had to survive that with a man who didn't participate? Absolutely not. And unfortunately, even today, I know a lot of women who are Mm -hmm. doing that. And I didn't sign up for that. And that is just not who Ari is. He is, even to this day, the kids are 12 years old. He is 100%. They're 12? Do you believe? Jeez. You met them when they were four months old. Yeah. Their baby naming. Yeah. Well, Dean is 21. No, you yeah. brought him to the office before that. Oh, yeah. no, you're right. Mm-hmm. You're right. You're yeah. right. I remember. Yeah, we needed a session. <laughs> uh, yeah, I remember. I can imagine why. Oh, my God. I was a I mess. got to hold him. Yeah. yeah. Well, you were looking for someone who could keep up with you. Yeah, right. And I found him. <laughs> Sorry, honey. <laughs> you know, the funny thing is, uh, when we got married, our priest was like, you know, marriage is not a 50-50, it's a 90-10. And when you're busy doing 90% of something and you think that other person is doing 10%, I'm doing everything. And they're over here doing 90% of something, you're only doing 10% That's right. of, That's right. and you feel like you're doing everything and they feel like they're doing everything. And it's really hard because there's just so much to do. Right. And that's just normal stuff that isn't even like dealing with multiples yeah Mm -hmm. i gotta say ari is the prominent parent in a lot of different situations in our household he is the prominent parent in a lot of different situations probably more than in other households even today and is that something that just developed over time or did you guys actually delineate tasks and well i think things have changed certainly through the years i mean i was working downtown until they were five. Yeah. Um, so I was gone school. at six in the morning and back at six at night. I, I physically wasn't there. So many, I mean, it, we really fell into a quick routine for those years where nighttime was mine. Leslie was physically there, but she was exhausted. And she would certainly with two again, she, there, for doing a bath, I mean, you had to have that second set of hands there. 
but basically the bedtime routine fell on me. Then everything kind of shifted and I worked, I mean, for a little bit, I wasn't really local, but I could manipulate the hours a little better. And then for the last six years now, I take them to school. I can pick them up if I need to go to doctor's appointments. I can do all the things that I wanted to do as a parent that I, you know, we couldn't to begin with. So that shifted who does what, when all over the boards. Cause you have more flexibility. Right. Right. And then did you guys kind of fall into who's better at what? Yes. Better in the sense I'll, I'll only use the word better. Like he's better at doing homework than I am. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was third grade that I was, I had to stop helping because it was over my head. Are you smarter than a sixth grader? Yeah. Forget it. Are you smarter than a third grader? Um, so he's better at the homework part as far as the work, not so much the patience, but the work. Right. Um, we are stronger in some areas that, you know, he's the stronger morning parent. I'm the stronger nighttime parent. So that switched, you know, he used to do bedtime and I had to do mornings. Well, now he does mornings and I'm mostly nighttime. Um, but it, it switches. And because he, he wants to be that a hundred percent in dad also, um, plays a big part of it. So what are some of the challenges you guys have had through these last 12 years? Okay. So when baby B was three and a half, she was first diagnosed with sensory processing disorder. From three and a half to today, diagnosis include the sensory processing disorder, selective mutism, anxiety and depression. Baby A has had diagnosis of ADD and severe anxiety. And what is sensory deprivation? Sensory uh, processing disorder. I was going to say deprivation. The opposite. What does that mean? So also known as sensory processing integration disorder. So in a nutshell, their brain has some wires crossed. So the information that it's being fed is getting all mixed up and isn't working with it properly. So if we were to say to her, cat starts with C, cat starts with C, C C-A-T, the word cat starts with the letter C. What letter does the word cat start with? L because her brain isn't getting it quick enough and when it gets it crosses signals and it affects her learning it affects something we think is soft could actually physically be hurting her it affects the way she hears it affects the way she is in space um a crowd could be very overwhelming um so any sensory input is just jumbled. Before she's diagnosed, what are some things that you're seeing that you're going, oh. something isn't right here? And Ari, jump in if you want. Yeah. Oh, there's so many things. First of all, she was always hot. And we didn't know it. And when you have a baby and it's winter time, you bundle them up. 
and they're in the car and you have them in their car seat and they're bundled up and she is screaming bloody murder just screaming bloody murder and there's nothing we can do to calm this child down she's not wet she's not hungry she's not tired and eventually after several dozen times of having your baby miserable and you literally start peeling away the layers and then you realize even in 10 degree weather you can't put this baby in a coat you know something that simple and i almost want to say that stupid we couldn't get clothes on her we literally couldn't put clothes on her she would you know there's one thing when a kid has a tantrum and when a child is unhappy and as the parent you have to not ignore it but you have to pretty much say listen you're going out in public you're wearing clothes period the end with a sensory child it doesn't work and the blood curdling yell and the deep deep angst that these children are in and not being able to communicate why you just know something's not right and then with us the preschool teacher pulled me over one day and told me she was seeing red flags and i said what do you mean these are our first first kids i don't we don't know anything and uh she said it's almost like her brain isn't processing and this was way before we ever heard of sensory processing integration disorder so lots of um, evaluations testing therapies well how did that impact your guys relationship it was hard because sometimes you know the child is having a problem and going through something and sometimes you think your child is just testing you or trying to be manipulative as a baby or you have to teach the child right from wrong and this tantrum isn't okay only it wasn't a tantrum it wasn't a tantrum she my favorite saying is your child isn't giving you a hard time your child is having a hard time and even at 12 years old that's still really really hard sometimes to wrap your head around because I want to think that she's in complete control she knows what she's doing but the truth is these kids once they lose control they can't get it back they need our help they need our help they need therapy they need medication and it's something that they're going to deal with for the rest of their life only as they get older they could learn what they need and how to help themselves. I think both of us at times, going back to pre-diagnosis to today, one of us will be more in sync with it being sensory at one point and the other parent isn't. So one parent, I may be trying to discipline more and Leslie may be going, she needs a hug. She just needs to be held. And then it'll flip one time. It'll, you know, Leslie is just, you know, whatever the outside influences are the end of a long day frustrating day and she may be raising her voice and i'm going just give her space you know so it's so hard to recognize and then it's hard 
to not take things personally when you're telling, you're not telling the other parent how to parent, but you are <laughs> in that moment. Especially if one is really frustrated and the other one has a little bit more energy because they're not in the middle of that. Well, I imagine the word powerless really comes into play here, right? Because it's a moment by moment thing. Right. And you're just trying to catch up and figure out what's going on with your kids. Right. And so it's very easy to feel powerless and then also turn on each other. Right. You know, mm -hmm. because of that frustration. Right. Yep. And as the kids get older and they recognize that something isn't right within them and they say things to you, even at seven and eight years old, um, if I have to live this way, I don't want to live. Or why, why is my body doing this? Or how come she's not like this? Um, and now that she's older, a lot of, then I don't want to be alive. Yeah, that is really hard mm -hmm. to go through. Yeah. What was your, what, how did each of you deal with, um, when you first heard that medication was an option? So Leslie and I are very different and that came out in medication among any uh, other ways as far as parenting. I'm much more resistant towards going to medication personally. So it was hard for me to go when it was, I don't remember if it was recommended or talked about or the, the initial conversation, but it was, no, I don't want to medicate my kids. I still have a tough time with it. The long-term effects, you know, I have a lot more questions than comfort from it, but trying to balance external advice from doctors, Leslie's opinion with research, reading and, and talking to other parents in similar situations and trying to do what, with what information you have, the best thing for your kids. I was ready to medicate immediately. If this is what was going to fix her struggle, then fix it. And it was hard knowing that she needed it and it was going to help her but I was battling Ari's opinion. So we didn't medicate her for three or four years later that I was ready. How did that impact you guys as a couple? I was mad at him. How'd you work through that? We just didn't medicate her. We kept revisiting it. We kept talking about it. It took a few doctors to talk about medicine for Ari to finally give in. And like he said, he still doesn't like it. And I respect that he doesn't like it. And our kid by no way, well, our kids by no way are they healed. Medicine is never gonna make this all this stuff go away. But it helps them within their own skin, and it helps them function in this world of ours. And uh, I think he sees it as much as he still doesn't like it. There are three out of four of us in our house that are medicated. What, what would you both say to parents that are struggling with kids that may have different diagnoses? You know, not only have multiples, mm -hmm. 
but then also have these challenges on top of it, right? What what would you say to them? What kind of advice would you give? Number one is just get help. And it's on so many different levels. Mm-hmm. So I've said, Leslie's been a part of the, the moms group for multiples since before the girls were born. And that is... I almost want to say more important than me. Like, I feel like that is such a everything. Great support. Support Mm -hmm. and social and just things she needs. It's irreplaceable. And, and different people obviously find different groups, different people, but for her. And so anybody multiples and, and Leslie's such a big advocate of it. I mean, a stranger in the grocery store, you know, pregnant or just had kids or whatever oh you're having multiples are you a part of a multiples club have you heard of a multiples club <laughs> i mean she just because she knows um it's incredible and it's it's they do such a good job at bringing guest visitors in so it might be a dentist a, a pediatric dentist or a doctor or um the social media person you know there's so many different things they help with on like i say every level topics and conventions and social would you say that if somebody can't find something like that they should start it because it's not about being an expert it's just about supporting and understanding what other people are going through and then you get the education as a group yeah i I, you need to have some expert opinions as well Mm -hmm. but if you don't have that something is far better than nothing Mm -hmm. I would tell them that it's hard and that it's it's okay that it's hard. I would tell them not to blame themselves and to seek out whatever help you need and not to stop seeking out the help um, until you find answers. And if you don't know where to start, or how to start, then just Google it. If your kid is, I don't know, having tantrums or not learning or isn't making, or isn't making friends or what, whatever that child is struggling with and you don't know how to help them, then just Google, why can't my nine-year-old make friends? Or how come my third grader still can't add whatever it is and if you keep digging you will eventually find your answer and talk to your school social worker because they have a lot of resources and don't be embarrassed and don't be shy and don't think you're the only one going through it because you're not you're not can you tell us the positive things about each of your girls who they are as people. Oh. Okay. So the one um, baby B who has a little more challenges than somebody else would, she's really, really strong and she knows who she is and she's gorgeous and she's really good with people and she totally wants to help if she sees a non-typical child 
in a restaurant or in a grocery store, she will literally go up to that child and do whatever it takes to make that kid smile. And if she hears about a family struggling, she just wants to know how she could help that family. Our other daughter, who struggles in a different way and often doesn't know who she is yet and where she fits, is hysterical and sensitive and very introspective and gorgeous, of course. One of the things I laugh at with multiples is people come up to you and say, are they alike? When you look at our two girls, they barely look like they're in the same family. Yeah. Inches apart in height, different hair color, uh, traits different all over the place. But the, but how they are different personality wise is tenfold from how they eat likes and dislikes dress, how they dress. Oh my gosh. Opposite ends of the spectrum. Like they don't share clothes because completely different. And it's not remarkable to us because, again, it's all we know. They're two different people. It doesn't matter that they're twins or, you know, if they were siblings two, three years apart, they're two different people. But it also, I think, adds to just how incredible they are because they are so unique. They're everybody's unique. They're, They're both beautiful, but they're, you know, we see it from the inside so much more than the appearance. And like Leslie said, how one is just... It doesn't matter who it is or what the situation is. She wants to help. Mm-hmm. And then our other While daughter, she's suffering. Right. Like she's suffering and she often doesn't want to be who she is on this planet. But we'll put all of that to the side to help another She said child. for years she wants to be a social worker when she grows up because she wants to help people. And then our other daughter who has a natural empathy for people and just feels it, happy and sad. Mm-hmm. And last question, what is it that your partner does that you know they love you? Well, he hasn't left yet. That's a big thing. Yeah. I don't think he will. Kind <laughs> um, of finally believe that after 19 maybe, years. Maybe. Stay tuned. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Um, you know, he still does the little things, believe it or not. He still puts the toothpaste on my toothbrush. Everything that is a fault with me, it's okay for him. All of it. The fact that I snore and he can't sleep or that I'm not the best housekeeper, you know, it's still all okay. Like he, I'm just accepted. I think it's the non-expected stuff. So, you know, we'll say I love you in a text. And it's almost become an expectation. Like if we text back three or four times and someone doesn't say it, you can feel the other person when they do say it, like, and. (laughs) (laughs) But it's a look, a hug, when it just comes out of nowhere. When it's... Uh, I think even just a week ago where Leslie just felt like I just wasn't having the greatest day and just, it was just a a longer hug. It wasn't just a, hi, how you doing? 
And I wanted to look into his left eye. Where do you think we got that? From? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds familiar. Right. <laughs> so so much can be done without words, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Th- there's one more thing I want to add about parents who are just learning of their kids not being typical or going through something like that. It's okay if your family doesn't agree. It's okay if your family still thinks it's just temper tantrums and the for, external family. Yeah, um, thinks it's just for attention or you're not disciplining. Um, it's also okay whether your babies or your kids are typical or not. When you have multiples, your priorities have to change. So if you were once that person in your family who did X, Y, Z, but now because you have multiples, you have to put that on the back burner, and those people don't like that, that is okay. Because right now, those babies or those kids are your priority. And your family is going to whisper about you, maybe, and they might tell you to your face, and they might talk about you, and they might think negative about it and think that they were brushed to the side and discarded since you had these babies, but you were put to the side because you could no longer be the priority. And you, the parent or the mom, can't please all the people all the time and stop trying because right now it's those babies, those kids that are your priority, and the other people will either get over it or not get over it, and that's okay. I want to add this before we let Ari talk more nice about you. Oh. (laughs) There was not a book written about your child. (laughs) You know, all those books were written by someone that had their child. Yeah. And so I think the the books are really shaming because you don't, you can't, you can't meet the book where it's at because it's a human being. Right. And that part's hard. Right. And it's good resources and information, but take what works, mm-hmm. let the rest go. Right. And I think that's very important that you've pointed that out because there's a lot of parents out there that feel a lot of shame, Judged. a lot of guilt, a yep. lot of you know judgment yep. from other people, yep. and they've got to figure it out themselves. Yep. Right. And your friends, those are going to be the people that judge you the most, and sure. those are the people that aren't going to understand the most. And you just have to either walk away from that friendship or just chalk it up for what it is. They don't understand because they're not in it. And you are in it, and you just keep doing the best you can do for that kid, and the other stuff isn't going to matter. And Ari, anything else you want to add about what she does that makes you feel loved? It, it's from the inside. There's, I mean, it kind of goes back to why I fell in love with her, is just that genuineness, and not, there's not a need to pretend. And so everything fights from you know from the negative so to speak to the love and the giving and the you know the kids doing anything and everything for them it's just genuine and from the inside and that you can't fake that all right and leslie thank you so much for joining us on couple synergy today i think that your story is really going to help a lot of people out there you know that are struggling and and feel alone you know one of the things that i want to say to you guys is We've been part of your story for a long time, since before these kids, and through all these phases of your lives, and it's really an honor. And I'm so glad you guys came and shared your story. Human beings have been sharing their stories for thousands of years to bond, to heal, and to grow. And we hope that by you guys sharing your story, it's enriched your lives and the lives of our listeners. Thank you. Thank you. 
want to wholeheartedly thank all of our listeners out there for joining us in Couple Synergy today. Our passion is in helping couples have happy and healthy relationships. And this podcast gives us a fun way of bringing our knowledge and expertise to our listeners. For all of you listening, please subscribe to our podcast and please leave us a review. It really helps us out. If you have any questions, comments, or topic suggestions, please email us at contact at couplesynergy.com. For more information about Couple Synergy and our programs such as the Couples Weekend Intensive and our premier program called Couple to Couple, look us up online at couplesynergy.com. And especially this episode, if you know a family that is struggling with some hard things, please download and share this episode. And thank you for listening. Until next time, synergize your life and synergize your love. You have been listening to Couple Synergy with Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian. Couple Synergy was recorded, edited, and produced by Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian. Voiceover and music entitled Breathe and Let Go was recorded and composed by Gina Gonzalez. Mm-hmm.